0: How is this for a slogan? I, I, I didn't know it was our fifth anniversary. I am not good at anniversaries in general, but on um, the way here I was thinking that uh, the two things that we really, this isn't the only thing we stand for, but two things we really wanted to emphasize in our um, ministry was passion and reality. We wanted to stand for being real and come against everything that was unreal on the one hand. And so we want to be a people that we're just okay with dealing with a real Savior and dealing with real stuff in our life. We're, really, we're real sinners saved by real grace. We also want to stand for, for passion. That if it's worth doing, if it's worth preaching, it's worth doing passionately, and it's worth preaching passionately about. So on the way here this morning, I thought about this. It's like we, we, we want to have um, a, a real passion, and we want to be passionate about reality. How's that for a slogan? We want to be, have a real pa- we want to have a passion for reality. And our... <laughs> and a real passion. Oh, yeah, this is catchy. I can't even remember it. Okay, never mind. I'm not in charge of the jingles, all right? So it was, that was just a freebie. Hebrews chapter 6. Please be continue to be in prayer uh, for the ministry here. God is doing some cool things. Um... There's a lot of developments, a lot of things in transition, and it's, it's exciting. It's also a little scary, but it's mostly exciting. Uh, God's doing some cool things with the youth. We're looking for a, a youth pastor um, over the senior high, and some doors are opening up, and, and we're just trying to discern God's will, so be praying about that. We're also, and this is, gets me, but we're, we're, we're considering a new site, not buying a building, but uh, a, just going to a different location about 10 minutes from here. And we just need a lot of prayers to whether or not this is what we're supposed to do. Some doors are opening up. It, we've been for two years just uh, uh, maxed out here. And um, so we've been looking, and this has been a tough year because we've had four different possibilities seem to open up and then close. And this drives me nuts, and I want to go insane if, if, if something doesn't happen here soon. So maybe for my sake, God is opening up a new avenue here. So be praying about that, okay? Uh, just that God would really make the doors clear and that we'd see what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. In general, if you're spiritually aligned with this body, I want to encourage you to take responsibility to pray for the ministry of Woodland Hills in all of its areas. If we lose our prayer covering, we are goners. Uh, Nothing of any value will happen if we do not have a prayer covering. Amen? Amen. So please be in, in league with us. Be committed to this. If, if this is your church body, if you go to a different church body, then pray for them. And you can pray for us, too. I mean, we're not going to turn away any prayers. But, but uh, we really need a prayer covering. It's, it's what makes everything happen. Okay, Hebrews chapter 6. <clears throat> I, I wasn't going to read the first 11 verses, <clears throat> and I'm not going to now. For reasons I'll make clear in a second. First three verses say this, therefore let us go toward perfection, leaving behind the basic teaching about Christ, and not laying again the foundation. Now, here's what the foundation is: repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Instructions about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. Let's pray. Father. I, I feel your presence here, Lord, um, and I would just pray, God, that it would right now be channeled uh, in, in the direction of making your word come alive. Lord, we are people who do not want to leave here in the same condition that we came here in, and so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just take the words, however they come out of my mouth, and, and tailor-make them to each individual in this auditorium and change us, Lord. Lord, that is your responsibility. My words can't do it. Singing can't do it. Worship can't do it. It's your spirit using those things that does it. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd be sovereign here, be powerful here, open up our minds, open up our ears, open up our hearts, and let your word go forth. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, here's the deal. Um, At Woodland Hills, we really believe in the concept of team ministry. We don't have a senior pastor, no Chief Honcho calling all the shots. We operate on teams. We think that's a biblical concept. And while it drives me nuts a lot of the times, even I think it's a biblical concept. So we operate with it. That includes even, to some degree, preaching. And here's what happened. I, I, I take input. I like input. I receive input from different people on, in the ministry team. In fact, we're all part of a team, so I take input from you on what the congregation needs. And I was all set to bulldoze into this whole thing on eternal security and the unforgivable sin and all of that. And then some people started giving me some input. You see, when I think about Hebrews 6, I like theology, and I see Hebrews 6 as a big theological issue. Um, And it is a theological issue. We're going to get to it. It gets really sticky. I'm excited about it. I'm biting at the bit. I can't wait to go in there and tell you how I I solve all these theological problems. (laughs) Trouble is, Hebrews 6 isn't only a theological issue inviting some theologian to come and solve. There's some things there that I had not really even paid much attention to. And several people, one in particular, Paul Eddy, a good friend of mine who's on our uh, overseers, he took me aside earlier this week and says, Greg, you know, I, I just want to you know, share something with you. Are you sure you want to dive right into this stuff here in verse 10 and 11 when there's some real good stuff here in verse 2 and 3 that I think our congregation needs? And I go, what are you talking about? And what he pointed out was this. The author here mentions in verse 2 and verse 3 some of the foundational elements of the faith. And the author of the book of Hebrews is frustrated because he wants to get on to other things, but the author's not going to get on to other things because he has to keep on laying the foundation. The foundation is repentance from dead works and faith towards God, instructions about baptisms, laying on of hands, eternal judgment, and the resurrection of the dead. Paul says this, my, my friend Paul Eddy said this, if, if this author didn't, wasn't willing to move on to the deeper stuff until the foundation was laid, how can you? And uh, who do you think you are? And see, this is why team concepts are good, because I would have just plowed into it. And I stopped and I took that counsel and I considered it and I prayed about it, and by golly, if I, you know, the Lord wasn't in that, um, that we should spend at least two, maybe three weeks looking at these foundational teachings of the faith. And then we'll move into this weird stuff about eternal security and the unforgivable sin. If you're here this morning and you came just to hear about the unforgivable sin, let me just say this. If you think you committed the unforgivable sin, and you're sorry about it, and you wish you hadn't, then you didn't do it. Okay, there. I'll get to that later on. Okay. Maybe I should preach on the unforgivable sin. (laughs) The phrase I want to look at this morning is this phrase. It's the first foundational teaching that the author mentions here, and it's repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Um, the word repentance in the Greek is metanoia. And the word metanoia literally means to do and about face. It was primarily in the first century used in military circles. They'd have an army marching along doing their, you know, I don't know how they marched back then, but they're marching along, and the general would holler out, metanoia, and everyone would, would turn around and go the other way. We we do the same thing in our armies. We 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 holler out about face and and, and we they do about face and they go the other direction. It means turn around, go the opposite way. Metanoia. Literally, the general would holler out, repent, and everyone would turn around and go the opposite way. That's what repentance is. You repent, go in this way, and then bam, you're going this way. I don't know what I believe. Repent! All you military people out there are probably really sick of what I just did now because I don't know a thing about the military. When it's applied outside of the military, it has this connotation to it. Very important to to, to get this. It means to leave and to cleave. To leave something, absolutely, and to cleave to something else, absolutely. When you're getting married, for example, literally you'd say you repent of your single lifestyle and now you're going to be married. You repent of of the way you used to live and the, the options you used to entertain. You shut those down, you close them, you do a metanoia, 180 degree turn, and you go the opposite way, and now you cling to one, all right? You're going in a very different direction. With God, it has the same connotation. We're going down one area, we're going in one way, we're going in one lifestyle. The Holy Spirit gets our heart, we yield to it, and we do a metanoia. We do a repent, and now we're going a different direction. Greg Boyd was going down this direction, he was Lord of his own life, calling his own shots. But then there was a metanoia, and now I'm letting Jesus Christ call the shots, okay? A bowed face, a bowed face, and you turn right around, going down the way saying, I'm going I'm to do my own pleasures, have my own thing, I'm just going to live life for me. The Lord calls you, you do a metanoia, you repent, and now you live to please the Lord, not to do your own pleasures. You're going down, the, you're marching down the path of just doing the drugs and doing the sex. The Lord calls you, you do a metanoia, and now you bring your sex life into under obedience to Jesus Christ, and you treat your body like it was the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're going down the road of the American lifestyle, the American dream, seeking to get rich, earn the money, get the nice house, get the night car. The Lord calls you you do a 180. And now the only values you care to rip about are the values of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's got nothing to do with driving Cadillacs. Okay? It's, it's a 180. It's a turning around. That's what repentance is. What we got to see here is this. In the early church, the first word that anyone got when it came to getting right with God was metanoia, was repentance. This starts the whole thing. You've got to turn around. In fact, it's a theme that's found throughout the whole Bible in the Old Testament. The foundation, this is why the author of Hebrews mentions it first. The foundation for everything else is turning around. It's, it, it's doing the 180. In the Old Testament, for example, Jonah goes to Nineveh. God says, I'm going to judge Nineveh in 40 days. So Jonah goes there and preaches to Nineveh. A bunch of reprobates. You need to repent. And then Nineveh does repent. And when Nineveh repents, the Bible says God repents. Nineveh does a 180, boom, we're going this way. So God says, I'll do a 180, boom. I was going to judge them, but now I'm going to have mercy on them. I'm going to have grace on them. That's what what, what repentance does. Many times Israel got off track we're going the wrong way, and God called them to repentance. In Jeremiah 15, for example, the Lord was going to bring a judgment against Israel. Jeremiah preaches to them, you need to repent and get back to God. They do repent, so God repents. He calls off the judgment. So it is in the New Testament. John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. He's laying the groundwork for the coming of the Messiah, and the message he preaches down in the River Jordan is, Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand. Turn around! Do an about-face. you got judgment coming upon you. If you want to get that off your back, you've got to turn around and go in a different direction. When Jesus comes, he preaches the exact same message. Matt, or Mark chapter 1, verse 15 repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and all throughout his ministry what he's telling people to do is stop going in that direction and start going in this direction submit your life to the father follow me the early church had the exact same message the holy spirit gets poured out on the day of pentecost a crowd gathers around them because they think that they're drunk with wine but they're just drunk with the spirit we're going to talk about that next week when we talk about the baptism of the holy spirit um a little advertisement. So they're, they're all drunk in the spirit, and the people gather around saying, What is this, man? It's only 9 in the morning. How can they be drunk so early? And Peter stands up and preaches a message to them. These are people who just a little while ago were responsible for crucifying the Savior, and Peter tells them that. Kind of a hostile approach, sort of a confrontational, if you ask me. Not a lot of seeker sensitivity here, you know? But Peter preaches at them, and then they get, the Bible says they got turned in, in their heart, and then they ask in verse 37, chapter 2, book of Acts. What must we do to be saved? And the first word out of Peter's mouth is repent. you got to turn around. You're going in the wrong direction. you got judgment coming upon you. In Acts chapter 20, verse 21, Paul sums up the message that he had been preaching to the Gentiles, to the elders. He says this, I have declared to both Jews and Gentiles that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bam, that's the message right there. In a nutshell, foundational stuff. You've got to turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In, Acts, or in, in Peter, 2 Peter Chapter 3, verse 9, it sums up the gospel by saying this. God is not desirous that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The opposite of perishing is repentance. Okay, you do a turnaround, you go in a different direction, God does a turnaround and goes in a direction, different direction towards you. What we need to understand here is this. This Christianity stuff is meant to be very, very radical. The Lord calls us to an absolute break. When you make the decision to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord calls you to do a turnaround, to not only cease from where you are at, but to go in a different direction. The opposite of repentance is sort of, all right? The opposite of doing the turnaround that the Bible calls us to do is to to kind of do a a lean-to. It's sort of like, it's to turn 90 degrees instead of 180 degrees, okay? And this is what so many people do. And this is why so many people don't experience the power and the joy and the peace of the gospel. They, they, They want to repent, but they go this far they got one foot here and one foot there. And they're just kind of straddling the fence. God doesn't call us to straddle the fence. He doesn't call us to just sort of dabble in this and dabble in that. He doesn't call us to make him semi-Lord of his life and to be semi-holy and semi-have faith. He calls us to do a 180, amen, and to go in an entirely different direction. It's a radical break. (laughs) To make the Lord the Lord. Is to, is to have decided on a new love. The break between our pre-Christian and post-Christian life, and I'm not just talking to people who aren't Christians here this morning, I'm talking to believers, because we go astray and need to repent too, right? But he calls us that the break between this way and that way is as radical as when you were single and now you're married. We're to have a new love altogether, and when you grab that new love, you're to forsake your old loves. Which is why 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, don't think that you can say you love God, but you're also loving the world and you're having it both ways. You're doing this sort of kind of Christian mishmash, potato, water down fish back kind of a thing. No, that's not what it's about. If you love the Father, you reject the love of the world. You grab hold of the Father's values, you reject the values of the world. You grab hold of the morality of the Father, you reject the morality of the world. It's a 180, it's a repentance, it's an about-face kind of a thing the Lord calls us to. He gives us a new love, and that means we're supposed to forsake the old love. And as long as you're dabbling in the old love, you're never going to fully experience the new love. And then you wonder, where's God, where's God, I don't feel loved. Well, get rid of that, and now you'll begin to experience that, this, that, the thing. All right, hallelujah. To do the 180 means you got a new love. It means you got a new kingdom. You're in a new kingdom. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says that we have been transported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, whom he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The word transported, it was used... In the ancient world, when, when, the, when the Romans would take a people group and displace them, they'd root them out of their homes, and they'd bring them to a new location. They didn't have a choice about it either. They had to make an absolute break. Salvation is this radical. The Lord reaches down, grabs you from the kingdom of darkness, that's where you were, roots you up, and puts you in the kingdom of light. You're in a new location. There are new, there's, a, there's, a, there's a new law of the land. There's a new king in place. There's a new lifestyle that's expected. Don't be seeking to go back into, into the kingdom of darkness. Make the break absolute, 180, degree, 180 degrees. You have a new king in place. Though most people don't understand it, they don't see this, that's just because they, they, the, the king of this world, the god of this age, the principality and power of the air, the dominion of darkness, his name is Satan, he deceives people so that they don't even see how in bondage they are. They think that they're going on their own free will, doing their own thing, lord of their own life, but they couldn't be more puppets than they are right that very second. But when the Lord calls you to do a 180, you have a different king. There's a new king on the throne. Someone else is to be calling the shots. Someone else is to be in the driver's seats. And that's not a halfway thing, not a sort of thing, not a semi thing, not a quasi thing. It's an absolute thing. That's what the Lord calls us to. And that's what the word repentance is all about. Do the 180. The trouble with the church today, so much of the trouble with the church today, is that we actually encourage people to straddle. It's like we, we, we're, we're afraid this repentance it sounds harsh it just sounds meany 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 you know uh, it's, it's a hard sell we're, we're commercialists we're consumers and we like to make it nice make it soft make it secret sensitive you don't want to turn anybody off you know and, and, and everyone's wondering what's in it for me so you want to tell them what's in it for them and da and, and here here's there's this element of truth to the whole thing sometimes this idea of repentance has been preached in a harsh way it's actually the most gracious thing you can have. Romans chapter 2 says, it's the kindness and mercy of God that leads us to repentance. This is not bad news. This is good news. You get to be free from this junk, and now you get to move into this wonderful stuff. And sometimes the way repentance is preached, like in my background, it, it, it's, they want to be separate from the world, but they define it in terms of a bunch of little petty rules. Yeah, you know, don't wear lipstick, and don't wear dress, and you can't wear makeup. And now you... You girls have rules, too. And then they give the girls' rules. <laughs> Just made me mad. <laughs> How legalistic can you get? Well, look at No, but they define it. Don't go to movies. And all this external stuff, you know, and that gives repentance a bad name. The Bible isn't talking about this, this try to micromanage everyone's decision-making. That's what sponsors do that. Let's micromanage everyone's, you know, God forbid that anyone should be following the Holy Spirit on their own. You know, I tell you what the Holy Spirit wants. <sighs> repentance in the biblical mode is about, is, is about an internal heart change. We're talking about an inner disposition. We're talking about your general orientation. We're talking about your general value system. How it gets worked out in the particulars is, is not the key issue. It's the heart change. But what we've got to see is this. The Bible is emphatic on it. It's the foundational thing. You compromise on re- the need for repentance. That's the foundation. Everything else in the Christian life is built on this. You compromise on this point, you get skewed, the rest of the whole edifice of Christianity is going to be all screwed up. It's no wonder that the church is to some degree in the state that it's in today. It's because we don't have this foundation. I don't ever find Jesus once in the Gospels going around trying to make it sweet and palatable to people who wouldn't be inclined to accepting the Gospel. In fact, sometimes he does just the opposite. People say, hey, you want to You know, Lord, I want to follow you. He goes, oh, yeah? Are you willing to give up home? Are you willing to be persecuted? Are you willing to die? You know, foxes have homes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Are you ready to accept that? Lord, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my dead father. Let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. Lord, I'll follow you, but let me just go tell my folks what I'm doing. Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of me, Jesus says. Anyone who claims their possessions as their own is not my disciple. Man, this is not user-friendly stuff. This is in-your-face stuff. And all the while, what he's saying is, repent, turn around. You want to follow me? Great. Here's what it means. Here's the cost. You turn from that stuff. And he's not doing it to be a meanie. He's doing it because he's a gracious, loving Lord. And this stuff is not good for us. This stuff is. So get rid of that and grab hold of that. That's what repentance means. We need to get back to the truth of the foundation that, that, that the whole of the Christian life begins at this turning point, doing the 180, turning around. What happens if you don't have this? So here's what happens. Um, if you don't preach repentance, grace is only as beautiful as sin is ugly. And you back off of sin, you backed off of grace. It becomes meaningless. And so people make Jesus Christ Lord of their life, but if they don't do the 180, the, the, the lordship is empty, it's shallow, it's, it's meaningless, it's sort of hypothetical and theoretical, but it doesn't have any bite to it. It's like, hypothetically, deciding you're going to quit smoking today, but you don't give up any particular cigarettes. Um, it, it's kind of empty, or it's like deciding, you know what, a lot of us do this, okay, no more credit cards, that's it. But you don't actually cut them up, you know, just in case. I go, well, you see, the meaning of giving up credit cards is found right when you snip it. That's what it means to give up credit cards. Otherwise, you are just talking theoretical possibilities, and it never, it never has any bite to it. Or in other areas, let's say all of your life, whenever you get around dad, you turn into this doormat, and he walks all over you, and you finally decide, doggone it, I'm not going to take it any more, longer. I'm not a doormat. I'm repenting of being a doormat. But every time you get around him, you actually go right back to the same thing. You don't turn from the behavior. You just turn it in the mind. But you know what? The meaning of turning from being a doormat is found in the actual decision not to do it, in the actual not doing of it. And the meaning of quitting smoking is found in the one-by-one cigarette that you give up that you'd rather have. And the meaning of giving up credit cards is found in resisting the compulsion to to reach in there and get a credit card when you're going to buy something. And the meaning of the lordship of Jesus Christ is found in the moment-by-moment surrendering of a life to him. That's what the meaning of lordship is. It's doing the 180. Jesus didn't come and die on the cross to give us a nice philosophy. He didn't die on the cross to give us a theoretical speculative system that's nice to think about. Jesus Christ came and he died to give us reality because he's a real God and we were really going to hell and we needed a real savior and he shed his real blood to bring about real transformation in our life to make us really holy before God that we could really live with him throughout eternity in the joy and ecstasy of heaven. We're talking about reality here. There's nothing theoretical or speculative about it. And so it all begins with a real act of changing your will and going to the Lord. That's repentance. That's metanoia. The Lord calls each of us to do that. If you're here this morning and you've never made, your, never allowed Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, it begins by coming forward here this morning and saying, you know what? I'm done with my old life and now I'm going to cleave to Jesus Christ. For us who have been believers, maybe there's areas of our life that the Lord's convicting us on and, uh, and, and we know that shouldn't be there. Metanoia turn around, go in a different direction. That is what unleashes the power and the freedom of the gospel in our life. Let me just say a couple more words about this because there's some confusion about what repentance is. Three things, I think. Number one, repentance is not a feeling. This is so important because we are in a feeling culture. Repentance is not a feeling. What time does this service end? Quarter after, right? Okay, I forgot. I I, I was looking at the clock and I was thinking, well, no. This last week, I walked into a classroom, turned on a 50s station because I was bored. I thought I was going to teach this class, and I started singing and dancing to the 50s, okay? And I'm just, you know, having fun. And then someone says, Dr. Boyd? And I look up, and he says, do you realize that your class doesn't start for another hour? And I'm surrounded by all these students who I don't recognize. And they're looking at me like, what the heck is going on? All that is to say that when it comes to knowing the times of things, I tend to be a little slow, okay? That explains things. The first thing is this. Repentance is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. I hear this so much. It's pervasive in our culture. Somebody is living in sin. They know it's wrong. You talk to them about it, or somebody who's in a relationship with them talks to them about it, and they say, well, when the Lord convicts me of it, I'll be glad to, you know, I just don't feel guilty about it, you know? I know it's wrong, but I don't... I I, I must not be ready for it yet because I just don't feel it. This is one of the biggest crocks that the enemy pours on us in this culture. I'm telling you, it's a crock. Sorrow for sin is something you can be sorry for sin and not repent. I've seen that happen a lot. In fact, it happened in the Bible Hebrews chapter 12, Esau. He was sorry, he cried, but he didn't repent. You can be sorry for something, but it doesn't lead you to repentance. Or you can be sorry and it does lead you to to repentance. Or you can repent, but not yet experience the sorrow. Here's what I mean. Repentance is is doing the about-face. It's a will. It's a decision leading into a behavior. It's not a feeling. When that general, and you're marching along, and and the general says, about-face, he doesn't say, if you feel like it, about-face. No. He says, about-face. And if one of the soldiers says, well, I don't feel like it, (laughs) bye-bye, you're out of here. It has nothing to do with feelings. Feelings are, feelings are the caboose on everything else in our life. And if you've been damaged in life, and most of us to some degree have, in a fallen world you get damaged, things get screwed up. We don't feel right. We never feel the way, or we rarely feel the way we're absolutely supposed to. Some of us feel guilty about good stuff and feel good about bad stuff. You can still be saved. It just means your feelings are screwed up. But don't wait for your feelings to get right in order to repent repent first, and then your feelings begin to get healthy, alright, as you submit to the Lordship of Christ, your feelings begin to get healthy, feeling conviction for sin is actually a sign that you're starting to get healthy, you're starting to feel the way God feels, you're starting to see yourself the way God sees you, that's a good sign but you can know, and even be moved on by the Holy Spirit to move out of something before you ever feel guilty for it don't wait for the feelings of guilt, metanoia is a decision you make, because you know what is true, you've chosen to believe this, and now you're acting on it, second thing Repentance involves confession. The Bible puts a big emphasis on confessing things with your mouth. They came to the River Jordan in Matthew chapter 3 and it says that they confessed their sins when they were baptized by, by John. First John chapter 1 verse 9 tells us this. If we confess our sins, the Lord is, is uh, um, just and willing, or faithful and just in forgiving us our sins. And he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The confession is a crucial part of repentance. What you're doing here is you're just being out loud with this. See, this is not a theoretical thing. I'm theoretically turning. No, it's a real thing. And you're saying out loud to God, I'm turning from this and I'm turning towards that. It has meaning because there's content to it. I confess my sin. I name them. Now, this isn't a magical formula. I've heard people say that, you know, if there's an unconfessed sin in your life, that it's not forgiven. Well, what if you just forgot about it? You know, it's like you're going to go to hell because you forgot something. That, that God knows your heart. This isn't a magical formula, but it's good for you. It's healthy for you to get out with it and bring it before the throne of grace. It's also good for you to bring it before other people, which is why the Bible says, confess your sins to one another. Now, this is a crucial thing here. Confess your sins to one another. Um, there is in the body of Christ this, God wired it this way, there is an authority to usher people into the forgiveness of God. It's not that God's forgiveness of us hangs upon people saying that you're forgiven, but we are called as a body with those with whom we have relationships, and we need to have these relationships, folks real, honest, truthful relationships where it's okay to be vulnerable. And if you're vulnerable and if you're speaking truth, you're going to be confessing sin because the truth of the matter is that there's sin in your life. You've got to have some place where you can be honest and out loud about that, and that is so healing for you. Just this is last week, a young lady came to my, my, my office, and she um, checked on the door, she says, you know, can you talk for a couple minutes? And I said, I really can I'm busy, how about next week, let's make an appointment. And she says, oh, that's fine, I, I can wait. And I said, it can wait? I mean, this is okay? And she goes, it's fine, I can wait, it's no problem. And she started crying, I feel so bad. So I asked her in, and, and uh, we, we started talking, and in a nutshell it was this, she was carrying this burden of guilt and condemnation. Um... And it's because a year earlier she had been involved in all sorts of stuff she shouldn't have been involved in. And she realized it was wrong, and she moved out of it, and, and, and she left that lifestyle. But she was still feeling the condemnation for it, and she didn't know why. You know, she knew that God forgave her, but why does she still have this condemnation? And so I said to her, I said, Have you ever invited anyone else in on this issue? Have you, ever told, have you ever confessed your sins to anyone else and then have them pray over you with the love of God? She says, No, there's no one in my life that's safe enough to do that with. I said, if you want, I'll be that person. You know, this isn't about a priest confessing sin. This is just a, a fellow believer in Christ who you know, is, is willing to listen here and pray for you. And let's make this a benchmark time, a, a time where we're just going to complete this metanoia. So she told me what the stuff that she was through, and, that, that she had been through, and, and the stuff that happened and stuff she did. And then I got a chance, and it was beautiful to pray over her. And I just prayed, God... Help her to receive your love. Help her to see your grace. Help her to see and experience the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, to see that she is washed and she is pure and she is your bride and you're in love with her. And as I prayed that, it became real to her. And and you could just see the burden lift as the tears began to fall. God orchestrated things so that when we pray with one another, when we confess with one another, we give each other the opportunity to show the love of God towards one another, to incarnate God's forgiveness for one another. A lady told me just in between services that after the first service, someone who knew her kind of just said, you know what, I don't have anyone in my life I can confess sin to, but I need to. I need to tell somebody. So right there, right in the back of the auditorium, she poured out her her insides to this, this other woman. This other woman prayed the forgiveness and love of God for her, and that woman was set free because of that. That's the authority that God gives the body of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah this is what Jesus meant in John chapter 20 verse 23 when he says whoever sins uh, you forgive are forgiven he's he's not talking about that God's forgiveness hangs upon what we do but when we have relationships that are honest and real and vulnerable and we speak the truth of sin in our life and then people gather around us and pray God's love in our life that helps us move in the area of freedom and forgiveness and, and deliverance. Just in our small group last night, there, there was a time where I, I, I think this happened, where a person, I think for the first time in their life, just got hit with the radical, unbelievable, incomprehensible forgiveness of God. It's because it was now tangible in the lives of people who loved him all around him, praying, God help him be forgiven. We need to confess our sins to one another and then confess them to God. That's part of the doing the metanoia. It's part of doing the change. We need to, when possible, confess our sins to people that we've wronged. And sometimes that will even take us a long ways back. But Jesus says, when you, when you come to the altar, leave your gift there, if you have ought against your brother, and go and be reconciled. Here's the principle. I've got to say it really fast, but here's the principle. Your relationship with God and your relationship with other people are inextricably connected. Not about being saved or being forgiven, but in terms of how you walk with God and what you experience. When there's unforgiveness and undone stuff, unreconciled stuff in our life, it pollutes our relationship with God. It just jams the frequency. Just receive this now. Part of doing the turnaround and going in the opposite direction, part of that is to make this commitment. See, if I'm benefiting from having gone that way, when I turn around, if I'm still benefiting from it, it still has a hold on me. If I stole a bunch of cars and now I repent of it, but I keep the cars, this junk still has a hold on me, you see? See? There's a lot of us that are walking around wondering why we don't have power to get over certain kinds of sin, even though we've repented. But part of the principle we've got to realize is that turning from the stuff, true repentance, is about, as much as possible, undoing the harm that was done. Reconciling whatever can be reconciling. Restoring whatever can be restored. Zacchaeus told the Lord this in in Luke chapter 19. He says, Lord, whatever I've stolen, I've returned fourfold. And that's not a biblical principle. You don't find it anywhere else. But the Lord praised him First, faithfulness. You have great faith, he said. It's about restoring. Ezekiel 33 says, To the one who has stolen, if he returns what he has stolen, he shall be forgiven. The principle is to restore, to redo as much as you can do in terms of the harm you were doing and going a certain way. Part of that is confessing sin or, or, and asking for forgiveness from people that maybe in the past that we've harmed. Part of it is maybe returning things uh, or whatever it means um, to undo the chain that was there. There are people who struggled with stealing after they were believers until they did this restoration thing and gave back what they took and that broke the stronghold. People who struggled with bitterness until they went back and asked for forgiveness and that broke the stronghold. Now you need to use wisdom in this. All right? And I'm just going to say, pray that you, that sometimes it's not appropriate to go back and bring up old issues. You got to handle that. You got to ask God to lead you with that. Sometimes it's not appropriate to go back and try to undo something. But when possible, when godly, it's good to do that. And know one other thing. You are not at all responsible for how it's received. That's an important point. It's not your job to make a person happy about the fact that you ask for forgiveness, or to make them forgive you. Okay? That's not your job. You you are complete once it's off your chest. Forgiveness is about, repentance is about turning around, undoing whatever you can do, and cleaving to the new Lord. The final thing in in this verse, and I close with this. It says, repenting from dead works and having faith towards God. Having faith towards God is not just believing in God, it's believing God. Not just believing in Jesus, but believing Jesus. It's taking God at his word. Now receive this. Faith is not just an intellectual thing, it's trust. And what you trust to make this metanoia, to make this repentance complete, is you trust that God, his character, and his word are true. So that when God says you are forgiven, faith says, I receive that. Faith doesn't say, say I feel that. Because maybe you feel it, maybe you don't. Your emotions are all screwed up. But faith says, I receive it anyways. If God says you're washed clean, you are washed clean. If the Lord says that as far as the east is from the west, your sins are cast from you the minute you ask and confess sins and ask for forgiveness, then your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. And be done with it. There's no room in the Christian life for groveling, for trying to make up for for trying to, you know, this, this kind of like, oh, I'm miserable. No! You confess it, you turn around, you do whatever you can do to restore it, and then you're done with it. He casts them in the seas of his forgetfulness. Believe it, receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. By faith, you understand, just receive this truth, that you're a spotless bride of Christ, that you're washed Here and spotless, right this minute, he looks upon me as blameless. He looks upon me as a ravishing, beautiful, wonderful bride of Christ. Here I am right now, and I receive that. Thank you, Lord. I love it. That's because of his word. It's true. You receive it. Be done with it. When he nailed all, when Christ was nailed to the cross, the Lord took everything that was against us, every sin that was against us, and he obliterated it. Hallelujah. He annihilated it. It is as though it never was. You receive it in faith. This is the foundation of the Christian life. There needs to be a real change, a real turn, and then you just receive the grace, receive the mercy, receive the love. What makes that meaningful is that you really did turn from the sin. Cheap repentance leads to cheap grace. Serious repentance leads to serious grace. The beauty of grace is proportionate to the ugliness of sin that we have seriously turned away from. And then you just receive the truth. Amen. Now, now we're going to, as the worship team comes out, you guys out there, back there? We're going to have a little time of worship now. Here's what I, I want us to, to, to do The Lord wants to deal with us. We're in different places. Some of you just need to receive the truth, some of you need to turn from where you're at. Some of you are living in areas you know God doesn't want you living in, okay? Uh, some of you have stuff that, you, that when you leave here, you've got to make some phone calls or you've got to go visit a place or I, I don't know. But God, but the Lord will deal with us with that. Worship is the time where we just open ourselves up and say, God, we focus on you and you just do your thing in us. And so what I want us to do now for the next 20 minutes is to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and with all of our mind and all of our soul, with all of our being, with all of our bodies, to just praise him and worship him and lift him up and let the Holy Spirit begin to do whatever he wants in our life. When the Holy Spirit deals with you, deal with it. I don't care. Maybe this morning there's someone in this auditorium you need to go and talk to. Do it. Do it right here. Who cares? Maybe you want to come forward here and and, and, and kneel and, and just go before the Lord. Feel free to do that. Or maybe you're just getting blessed because you realize you're forgiven for the first time and you just want to dance for joy. Do it. It's okay. This is the place where it's okay. But just let the Holy Spirit have his way and let's focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, anoint, anoint, anoint this worship and be glorified and draw our faces into your face and help us to see who you truly are and love you for being who you truly are. And Holy Spirit, have your way with us here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.